Today we're going to dive into the Phantom ecosystem. A lot have, has been happening both from an interesting standpoint around what's happening within Phantom, but also what does Phantom do and how does it affect DeFi? All of that's going to be answered today as we dive in a little deeper. My name is Paul Barron. Welcome back to TechPath. Today joining me is Mr. Michael Kong, who's the CEO and one of the key leads over at the Phantom Foundation. Michael, great to have you on the show. Thanks so, uh, thanks so much. Really appreciate being here. Yeah. Excellent. So, Michael, let's get into it uh, first. Obviously, we're going to get into the, uh, I guess, the blockchain drama that, get, that of course, always gets kind of propagated out there across the industry. We'll dive into that, but I want to learn first right. more around the Phantom, um, not only the ecosystem, but in general. For a new person that's getting into crypto, a lot of times the first thing they do is they look to a handful of altcoins to go support. And Phantom has been on our list for quite some time in our top 20 tokens, many times under our crypto power index. Tell me a little bit about what Phantom really does in the DeFi system. Why is it so important as a layer one? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for the question opportunity again. So, you know, DeFi and Phantom is just like one aspect of um, what you can do on Phantom. So essentially what Phantom is, right, is that the Phantom ecosystem is a layer one generalized smart contract platform. And so what we mean by that is kind of all the use cases you see on Ethereum are the same sort of use cases you can see on Phantom. So a developer who can build on Ethereum can easily build on Phantom because the skills are transferable. What really makes um, Phantom different from Ethereum <laughs> has to come down to uh, the underlying consensus mechanism. So we can process um, multiple transactions simultaneously in order to achieve consensus for those transactions as opposed to say Ethereum where you process like one transaction at a time or more specifically one block at a time, right? right? And so that's the key difference in the technology. That's what allows us to get faster and cheaper transactions that people can see, you know, when they experience the network that they can see on FTM scan, they can see on the Phantom Explorers, um, you know, with lower fees and higher throughput. Um, so there's a lot of work that's been done to kind of achieve that. The most difficult thing has been how do you get the ordering of transactions in, you know, when, when transactions are being processed simultaneously? And that's a very difficult technical problem that the core development team that's been with us from the almost from the very beginning till now have built. So if people, you know, think that Phantom technology is pretty good so far, well, it's the same team, the same team that is building for new releases that are coming out, which um, I guess we can talk to uh, talk about a little bit on this podcast are the same people that built the original chain. They've taken it to a chain where there's over 200 million transactions processed. There's over 2 million active wallets there. There are about a million transactions a day now being processed on chain. One of the biggest L1s out there, you know, very close to Ethereum's trans daily transactions as well. It's the same team that has built that technology that continues to build out that, te uh, that, te that technology. So use cases on Phantom are things like DeFi, NFTs, metaverses, We've seen a lot of activity in those two categories, but really like anything you can do with a smart contract, you can do on Ethereum, taking advantage of our underlying consensus. And, you know, we're also in the process of uh, building out our own smart contract execution engine because the one that Ethereum uses, although it is like quite reliable and that a lot of chains use it, Phantom included, <laughs> Ethereum obviously like uses it a lot quite extensively. <laughs> there are a lot of technical limitations there that kind of limit um, your network throughput or your performance 
And so we've done a lot of research, academic research at the University of Sydney, trying to identify these problems and, and theoretical solutions for them. And now we're in the process of implementing those theoretical solutions to have much, much better performance. And I think that's something that's going to differentiate us even more compared to other layer ones that are out there. Yeah. So you, so you did. You said a lot of things there. I think that we need to unpack because this is something that I think a lot of people do not understand, and that is the capacity for even Ethereum, which is a kind of a lineup consensus in terms of transactions and how those occur, and what many people are looking at in terms of growth, whether it's metaverse, NFTs, or the use cases that may go into general business uh, with blockchain, is that the demand is going to continue to grow. Explain to me how a simultaneous transaction is getting settled because I haven't necessarily ever really seen any other, your protocol is pretty much very unique in that aspect. If you did this in the banking industry, so much is built on time protocol, when something is hitting a, a transaction level, everything really is based on uh, the queue. In when you think on traditional financial transactions, especially when you get into NFTs, metaverse transactions, things where you're gonna be getting into collectibles, people especially when you see congestion, things of that nature. How do you address simultaneous transactions and um, I guess able to prioritize which one is first? Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting question because that, that, that's basically the, the, the most difficult part of the consensus, right? So when I say like transactions get processed simultaneously, that's actually not exactly the case. What it is is that the transactions get into the network almost around the same time, right? But there are like slight time differences as they pass between like the different validators, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like different like groups of validators process transactions pretty much like around the same time as like um, like other, other transactions are being processed by like other, like other validators in the network, right? And so there's a lot of like complicated like algorithms that go into how to get the final order of transactions. Um, I won't go into all of the detail about it because it's, it's very complicated. There's like 10 different steps, <laughs> but essentially, you know, a transaction gets entered in the network. It has to get propagated to, to two thirds plus one of the total validating power of the network in order to um, achieve finality. And so once you reach that threshold after one block, <laughs> uh, your transaction is confirmed. So that's known as deterministic finality. In other words, you don't need to wait for several blocks afterwards. You're not reliant wow. on say the, the longest chain rule in order to um, make sure that your transaction really is part of the network. All you need is a single block confirmation. <clears throat> um, but essentially what happens is that transactions get sent to the network and they get first packaged into what's known as an event block. So an event block is basically just like a, a block of data like you see on Ethereum, like you see on, on, on Bitcoin that just has a collection of transactions and, and metadata associated with those transactions. And so the, the first ordering comes in, um, in, inside that event block. So the transactions get ordered uh, based on uh, the timestamps that are appended to them. And the timestamps come from a concept known as one is, um, um, uh, a Lamport timestamps. And Lamport timestamps were invented uh, by this computer scientist at Microsoft called Leslie um, uh, uh, Lamport. And it's basically like a mechanism of getting it, um, um, uh, of appending a timestamp to a transaction that's not dependent on an external source of information. So you can get this information just purely from on-chain, right? Uh, basically speaking. And then with that sort of ordering, you, you can, you can, you, you get, well, with that um, timestamp, you can do ordering within the event blocks themselves. And then you, you can use the same concept to apply that sort of ordering between the event blocks themselves. And then yeah. what you have to do is that with a group of event blocks, you have to create what's known as a posit or, or a partially ordered set. 
And then there's several iterations afterwards uh, <laughs> that allow you to um, uh, basically the final ordering after that. So you have like <laughs> um, event blocks that receive uh, other event blocks that is known as routes uh, to other transact uh, other event blocks that are done lines known as atropos. <laughs> and then you're continuously just like following these rules again and, and again and again. And basically, uh, so this is all like a lot of jargon, right? Ba basically, um, the difficulty is how do you get the final order of transactions for an asynchronous network? Because you have to have uh, an entirely consistent ledger across all of the nodes, right? Obviously across all of the validated nodes because they're the ones validating transactions, but also across um, non-validating nodes that are reading data from on-chain. So, you know, it has to be consistent whether they're reading from, um, you know, node one, node two, node three, that they get exactly the same amount of data. Um, yeah. It's one of the properties of blockchains that you can't have 99.9% .9 consistency. You can't have 99.99% .99 consistency. You have to have exactly 100% consistency at all time. And on top of that, you have to do it fast. And on top of that, it has to be fault tolerant, what's known as Byzantine fault tolerant. What that means right. is that if the network, if part of the network goes down, say you have a network of like 100 nodes, if three nodes go down, if four nodes go down, if five nodes go down, the network should still be able to operate as it was beforehand, as if nothing happened. And so in order to achieve all these properties of speed, of fault tolerance, of final ordering of transactions, it requires a lot of technical effort. And so the team that has built this technology is the same team that's building the technology going forward. Um, so that, that's, that's essentially what the, what the consensus is. Yeah. So when you, okay, so you've got uh, a very advanced process here of being able to basically settle within the blockchain, you know, from a transaction layer and, and do it at speed, security, uh, all the things you would expect from a layer one. If you look at where say Ethereum is going with, um, ETH 2.0, the evolution of what they're trying to re basically real rebuild a blockchain. And then we also have other projects out there who also claim, you know, super speed in terms of uh, layer one compatibility, or at least the capability of being able to handle transactions. Do you see that in the future we'll see maybe a handful of layer ones that will truly take over the payment rails, the DeFi rails, the NFT rails, et cetera? Or do you see this as where we may have 10 different uh, layer ones out there that are really operating maybe in different parts of the world and different parts of uh, of areas of, of the blockchain itself, maybe in metaverse, NFTs, some more in DeFi and finance. What are your thoughts on that in terms of the ecosystem where this is all going? Yeah, so um, the, the way that Phantom is kind of like approached like layer one technologies is, is quite different from the other layer ones that are out there. And, you know, there, there are a lot of advantages with Phantom technology that um, we can we can kind of get into um, but to like uh, directly like answer your question about, you know, would it be like a series of multiple chains being used in the future or just one? In my opinion, as I've like consistently stated, I think it will be um, uh, uh, like, a, like a number of chains, it, but it won't be like 10 chains or 20 chains. It will be like kind of what we have right now, like three or four or five that people use okay. at most. Um, and, and, and that's exactly what people use. Like the majority of people who are doing transactions on, on Phantom don't just do transactions on Phantom. I mean, some of them do, but most of them don't. So right. most people use like, say a combination like Ethereum or Phantom or maybe like Avalanche, et cetera, and they go back and forth. And that's kind of for two reasons, um, or three reasons, right? Um, one is that um, there are bridges that exist between the different chains that allow you to kind of bridge assets um, 
from multiple chains. So for example, you're able to like bridge, you know, stable coins, you're able to bridge all sorts of different tokens going uh, uh, back and forth, say between like Ethereum and Phantom and Phantom to Ethereum. Um, and so there are some centralized solutions there, some decentralized solutions there. And even though, you know, there are some like risks and, you know, potential drawbacks, um, they do like generally work quite well and people have trusted yeah. them with billions of dollars. The other reason is that there are software like such as MetaMask and others that make it very easy from a graphical user interface point of view to basically switch between the chains. So for example, with Phantom, you just put in the chain ID and then a few bits of other information, you, you, you add it to your MetaMask and then you can just from a drop down in two clicks, you can switch between Phantom and Ethereum and uh, Phantom uh, and Ethereum to Phantom, right? right. Um, so those are the two main reasons why, technical reasons. The third reason is that I think people just kind of like move between chains depending on what opportunities exist. So, you know, for example, you there might be a particular application on Phantom that doesn't exist on Ethereum. So people right. do it on, on Phantom or it might exist on Ethereum, but not on Phantom. And so people go back to, to Ethereum and they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I think that's the sort of future we're going to continue to see. Um, and so for Phantom, what's important for us is that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a race going on in terms of there's a technology race going on in terms of getting more scalability and getting more security, which is great because that's, you know, what a free market is about is about creating the best outcomes, right? And so for Phantom, obviously, you know, we want, we want to be the leader of that in terms of the technology and in terms of the adoption. But I do think in the future, there will be multiple chains still used. It's not going to be just one chain. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So multiple chains, most likely some similarities in scenarios where people will maybe have certain dApps, et cetera, or availability on, on certain projects that they can get access to via that chain. Um, completely understand that. Security layer-wise, if you look at all the layer ones, security is getting to be more and more of a top of mind. I think it's always been a top of mind, but now it's getting out in the news a lot more where we do see breaches that are occurring in EVM you know, scenarios where we are seeing bridges uh, that really are at risk. Do you feel like that is something that has to be eliminated in the future of blockchain for really pure security to be in place? Um, so there's, there's, there's kind of like two like different aspects of um, security that I think you mentioned in your question. So one is kind of like the network security itself. So the security of the consensus of confirming transactions. And then there's also like the smart contract security risk, right? Right. Which of course is like very, very important as well because um, there are, or there, there have always been cases where you know smart there's a flaw in smart contract and then people lose money. Um, so mm -hmm. I, if I can just address like each point individually. So like on on the smart contract point of view, um, there are you know there there does need to be like more um, secure smart contract development, and I think it's getting better over time. I mean, I, I remember back in 2015, 2016 when we started developing smart contracts. You know, people weren't aware of certain bugs or certain like. Um, programming errors that you can make in Solidity because Solidity is not a great programming language, right? So for example, um, it was possible if you didn't do it properly to, you know, accidentally subtract one number for another and then have that number kind of like become a lot bigger than the original number you started with, which kind of, there's a technical term for it, it's called an overflow, but like it, it, it kind of just messes up stuff, right? <laughs> because obviously if you take A minus B and somehow C is a lot bigger than A, begins with, it doesn't really make sense, right? And so people discovered that in, in Solidity program language and people discovered, for example, like what's known as the re-entrancy bug. That is, um, you know, if you didn't structure your smart contract correctly, 
uh, people could um, uh, basically people were were withdrawing funds from a smart contract and they didn't update the balance correctly, saying that you withdrawed funds. Um, you know, then uh, it would be um, uh, then then you could keep withdrawing funds and and the balance wouldn't update until the very end, right? So it would be like going to a bank, withdrawing a hundred dollars, and then the bank doesn't realize you withdrawn a hundred dollars and you keep withdrawing a hundred dollars until there's no money left at the bank, right? And so these bugs are like very well known now, and right. they don't happen that often anymore. And you know, the, this is how like the original the DAO got hacked for like you know I don't know was it the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of ETH back in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that very well. Um, so you know, smart contract development is getting better over time. There is like software libraries out there that make it better, but at the same time, I think you know we need to have it. Uh, we need to have more proof checking on the smart contract execution like engine. And that's like part of the work that we're doing as well. So not just increasing the performance of, of executing smart contracts, but also, okay, how do you like uh, generate proofs on the fly from your virtual machine um, to show, to give feedback to the developer that, hey, you know, actually there are certain bugs um, in your smart contract, you know, you need to fix them, right? Because there's no proof checking at all with the underlying software. You kind of just have to like know what you're doing and like have it audited. And that's like a very cumbersome process. If you can automate a lot of that checking, that's a huge advantage. So I think that's where yeah. we're going to be coming on in the end. And just to your question about network security, um, you know, Phantom's network security is like very strong. This is why like the network like never goes down, right? So, you know, even when nodes go offline uh, from time to time, which like obviously does happen as, you know, computers sometimes go offline, you know, it could be for maintenance, it could be that just like a like interruption with the server. You know, we're seeing that the network is entirely fault tolerant. That's why it like it just never goes down, right? It has 100% uptime. Um, some other like, ones have had issues with uh, networks. Um, you know, no, no, most notably Solana that has gone um, offline. You know, quite often. Uh, yeah. I'm not exactly sure why, um, uh, technical reasons behind that. But if your network is going offline um, at all, then it's really not fault tolerant, and that has um, very important consequences. You know, for people, you know, like for example, they're doing DeFi transactions and the network is going down. You know, what does it they get liquidated? You know, liquidations can't take place then, and then protocols kind of fail. So, you know, network security is a big issue. So, as we increase scalability, whether it's through ideas like sharding, um, or, or other performance improvements, you always have to keep security in mind that the network always has to be fault tolerant, and I think that's very important and what makes kind of like this technical work like very difficult um, to achieve in the end. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and I think that you know the key here. You're right to to the point is that we are seeing some layer one protocols get getting breached and or congestion issues, all those kind of things that layer into it. Um, part of this, I still feel in talking with you know CEO after CEO and project after project dev, is that we see more and more bridging starting to take place. I was looking at your uh, one of your most recent tweets here. Uh, Happy bridging to us. Another day, another ecosystem integration. Uh, this is the Orbs token now available on Phantom, and of course, this is through Multichain, uh, the yeah. cross-chain bridge company. So, they, and which they work with a lot of different uh, layer ones and do a ton of uh, bridging. Do you see this as just kind of being the, I guess, the core uh, process in which DApps and projects are going to come to market is through uh, through this approach? Yeah, I, I think what we've seen is a lot of applications deploy on multiple chains and it kind of makes sense from like a business point of view, right? Um, because for example, with Phantom, because um, you can write, compile and deploy smart contracts on Ethereum as the same one as on Phantom because we use the same smart contract execution engine 
known as the Ethereum virtual machine or the EVM. Um, it means that you know a developer from Ethereum, if they build an app on Ethereum, right, and they're getting used on Ethereum, <laughs> but they want to take advantage of say faster and cheaper consensus and access you know the thousands and thousands of uh, people in the community that we have on Phantom, then you know without too much effort and with also some help from the foundation that we provide, you know, technical support if there's any issues, you know, they can take their code and kind of redeploy it or fork right. it onto the Phantom network, right? <laughs> so now they're running two applications without having to do much integration work and they're taking advantage of both like the Ethereum community and the Phantom community. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, people deploy often on multiple chains. There are some applications on Phantom that are, that are native and that have been very, very successful. So for example, like Spooky Swap and Spirit Swap, two original right. DEXs that deployed onto Phantom, they only run on Phantom. And Spooky Swap in a particular, I think is one of the most popular DEXs in the world. And it yep. only runs on Phantom. So we do see like a number of like native apps that just run on one chain, but we do also see a lot of apps that run on uh, uh, multiple chains. And it kind of makes sense that, okay, um, you know, it access more users. It doesn't require too much effort to redeploy if it's an EVM based chain. At the same time, though, you do have to maintain then multiple chains support. So there is like some drawbacks with that approach, though. But it is something that we've seen a lot of people do because it's just like uh, very practical, I guess. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, the multi-chain uh, ecosystem here. If you draw down on Phantom right here, I mean, the amount of projects that are starting to make that bridge occur is pretty staggering here in terms of growth. Do you see any slowdown on yeah. this in, in in terms of DeFi and just in general, or do you think we're only going to see more acceleration of more projects hitting the market, more projects hitting the chains, and and really kind of creating these big bastions of uh, interoperability? Are we going to continue to see that growth over the next few years, or do you think we'll see a slowdown? Um, I think we'll continue to see that growth uh, very, very strong. And you know, I, th I think that was an absolutely fantastic graphic that you put out there because it kind of shows that you know what I want to emphasize is that the phantom ecosystem you know it's it's not it's not one person right it's not right. like me or it's not just one team like the founder foundation team or like a single app that runs on it <clears throat> you know as you as you've illustrated you know on that graphic and it speaks like a thousand words <clears throat> there are literally thousands of applications on phantom and all of those applications that you showed on the screen there pretty much all of those applications that you showed <laughs> were all developed by people in the community these are just right. developers that found phantom on the internet and we were like oh you know this is quite an interesting like chain, you know, let's build something on it. Let's deploy, let's see what traction we can get. And a lot of those projects have been able to see, have seen that they've gotten uh, like enormous amount of traction. I mean, you know, we're doing like a million transactions a day now. And so, you know, it's a phantom community. It's all those applications on there that are the really value add to the chain. And it's what the foundation is building the core technology for. And so I think development is just going to keep going up and up and up, uh, you know, and all these projects you see on the screen right now, you know, this is all from just like one or two years. Like, like, like this stuff hasn't been under development for like decades. It's literally been under development in like, you know, one to two years. And it's amazing the amount of growth that you've already seen. And I think that's going to absolutely keep continuing because I've seen more and more applications being developed and more innovation taking place. The, the, one, the one big worry that I do have overall is if, you know, there's going to be like a regulatory, um, uh, uh, a chilling effect, right? Because mm, there's a lot right. of uncertainty around, like, for, uh, in particular in the US, but also other countries, you know, what is the regulatory position of, of DeFi according to the government? Because DeFi is a new concept that I think regulators and governments are kind of getting up to speed about. 
where they don't really understand like what it is. Maybe they still don't understand what it is to this day. But from what I've been hearing, they're trying to understand what it is. Um, and so, you know, if if regulators have a very um, positive, uh, more of a positive view on DeFi innovation in the blockchain space, like kind of what we're seeing in Australia now, um, I hope, um, you know, um, uh, um, being, being from Australia, you know, if we see the same sort of like positive kind of like developments coming out from the US and elsewhere, then that would be really, really great for the growth of the ecosystem. In contrast, you know, if we have, you know, a very, very heavy handed approach, uh, an approach based not on understanding, but about, you know, yeah. like fear or uncertainty or for sure. you know, appealing to certain like um, lobbyists and that sort of thing. And that, and that has a chilling effect on development. <laughs> that could really reduce, you know, the level of like innovation that takes place in this, that takes place in the space. That being yeah. said, though, I think projects, you know, move around to different countries that are kind of like more crypto friendly, shall we speak. So it might mm -hmm. not be that bad in the end, but that is but regulatory uncertainty is one big issue for, in, well, for the industry right. that we really have to wait upon. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the regulatory scenario, obviously, we saw our president, Joe Biden, uh, here in the U.S., just put out a, an executive order yesterday, which kind of grafted in what I think most of the industry looked at as, as a bullish signal, at least in the sense that the American government now is actually taking blockchain very seriously and maybe for the first time has truly put forth a plan at least to start addressing a lot of these things. Granted, there's going to be a lot of scenarios where we'll see agency after agency starting to regulate, much like we have in the U.S. around our industry all the time. Um, in, and I'm talking about the tech industry. You can go into the real estate industry. Any kind of business out there is getting regulated to a certain extent. So I don't expect blockchain will be any different. Granted, the, the big core difference is the fact that blockchain is so global and has such a unique uh, element within different countries, whether it's South America, Australia, you know, uh, Pacific Rim, or even Europe, completely different, uh, you know, aspects of how blockchain is built, how it's uh, adopted, and also the countries, I think, that are starting to roll in and do much like what you're talking about in Australia, and that is, you know, embracing this kind of, of development, which is what the United States did in the early era of the internet. So it, def it definitely has the, the markings of great growth. I think the complexity of it is maybe even more so than what we saw in the birth of the internet and what we saw back then of what would, have, would eventually become Web 2. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. I want to jump to your uh, the Phantom NFT marketplace, which is, which is Ardian. This is the one you, you guys launched last fall. Tell me about where you guys are on this, on this project. Where is it going? What is the potential for NFT, an NFT marketplace within Phantom? Yeah, so um, RTN is like an NFT marketplace that was launched from the Phantom Foundation. And in retrospect, I think it's something that uh, we, need to have, we need to have released a lot better, right? So the first release that we did was honestly like quite buggy. Uh, you know, the software wasn't done well. You know, I, I kind of had hired the wrong individuals to, to work on that software. Uh, but um, we had like a... Uh, we, we, we had our like core team of developers, some of our developers on, on our team, kind of like rebuild the website and launch it. So now it's a lot better than what it used to be. That being said though, I, I think it was a bit of a mistake to launch RTN in the sense that I think it came across as, you know, that the foundation was trying to compete against uh, developers in its own ecosystem, right? You know, yeah. And that's a position that we absolutely don't want to be in <clears throat> um, because, you know, I've gotten feedback from the community and other people that I know that, 
more people would have built more marketplaces on Phantom early on had the foundation simply stayed out of it, right? <laughs> and taking the approach of, you know, we just support the ecosystem generally, you know, we, you know, provide technical support, marketing support, you know, we, we provide, you know, of course, the core technology and just really focus on those, on those things that the foundation should be focusing on and yeah. kind of take a more neutral approach towards projects. And so the whole idea about RTN was that back in April or May 2021, when we started developing RTN, we thought that we were fitting a, a need that didn't exist on Phantom because we didn't have a marketplace back then. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, obviously this is hindsight, so this is all 2020, um, we shouldn't have started developing um, RTN. We should have just waited for um, an NFT marketplace to launch on Phantom because that inevitably like, would have happened. And that did happen because it came in the form of like Zuko marketplace, a paint swap marketplace, and now there's NFT marketplace, which is very, very fast. And so for us, you know, we don't want to compete against people in our ecosystem. We just want to let the ecosystem grow. And that's the amazing thing. You know, the projects, the free marketplaces I just mentioned there, and there's there's more coming. You know, these are all organic. These are all marketplaces that just developed on Phantom. You know, the foundation didn't pay them a single dollar to deploy on Phantom. We, we don't pay people to deploy on Phantom. You know, they just they just did it because they saw a market demand there and they could, and they could see that, you know, the chain was useful and that it, it has a useful ecosystem. Um, that being said, though, you know, we do have like RTN version two there. It does work. We're not heavily promoting it, though, deliberately so, mm-hmm. because we don't want to compete yep. against other marketplaces on our ecosystem. Um, eventually, though, we, we do want the community to take over RTN version two if they do want to. So we might have like an auction off at some point in the community. We just kind of wanted uh, to run for a little bit to kind of see, you know, how it works in production and there's no issues there. Yeah. Then we'll try and give it back to the community and you know take a hands-on approach and really just focus on what we've always primarily been focusing on um which is just like the core and the middleware development you know building the underlying technology that benefits all projects in the ecosystem or you know um, giving grants and support to infrastructure providers that come onto the phantom network because that benefits the network as a whole and and not really focus on the application layer except just with helping applications that want to deploy on phantom to deploy on phantom and of course like generally promote the Phantom ecosystem and promote in particular those projects that are getting traction. Um, because in the end, what the foundation care, cares about, what I care about is the growth and development of the Phantom ecosystem. And that comes in two forms. That comes in one, yeah. technology improvements, and which is about faster, cheaper, secure transactions. And two, about like promoting um, uh, e- ecosystem growth by reaching, by reaching out to projects or having projects reach out to us that helps generate users and demand for the phantom ecosystem. So that's what really what our aim is. Yeah, I, I can see it. Well, I, when we looked at it, I was like, this is probably just more of a skeleton of showing the community how to build within these kinds of platforms to really kind of launch more, more marketplaces within the phantom ecosystem. So definitely would agree. I want to get to the question, of course, that I think a lot of people have been asking, and, and I know you've done a couple of interviews on this, very topic, and this is of course the, de- the developer uh, turmoil, turmoil with Andre Kanje. Um, talk to me about what happened, and I think because many people looked at this as, oh, is this bad for Phantom? You've got a couple of lead devs that are leaving, uh, even though I know they posted on Twitter that this was a long time coming, that's just something that is moving. But can you give us your backstory of what this does in terms of an impact to the Phantom ecosystem and many of the projects that are out there uh, dealing with this? Yeah, so like, you know, the, the, 
in your question, there's already, uh, I have to say, there's already like some things that you mentioned there that are, that are kind of just like wrong, right? And I think the problem is, is that there's a lot of like misinformation going around um, because people don't really understand what the role of like, you know, like Andre, like is like with Phantom or what the role of like Anton um, like, like was, right? And so the, 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 one of the things that you mentioned is that you said, you know, it, like, you know, two like lead devs have like left Phantom. <laughs> well, they, they never were lead devs. They never were, you know, core developers. Like Anton, like, like Andre and Anton were never core developers for Phantom. Like Anton was, uh, an external developer that worked on a, a number of projects in mainly as like a front-end engineer and he um, did, uh, helped Andre a bit when he was advising Phantom but that was the extent of it and I don't think Anton has done much work for Phantom for the past few months anyway and when okay. it comes to like Andre so Andre was definitely like um, like an advisor someone who was involved with Phantom from the very beginning you know someone that I've t I talked to <laughs> and he was someone that you know helped kind of like when we had a lot of issues to begin with and I sort of wanted to quit, he was the one that convinced me not to quit and to kind of explore different ideas on the consensus side. And so, you know, he helped me uh, build a new team of developers, the core team of developers who, who actually built the underlying technology. And they're the ones that are continuing to build the technology to this very day. And none of them have left. They've all continued for, you know, years now, what is like over three years of development, right? And so, you know, that was the extent of Andre's involvement, involvement on the technology side. And so if you go, for example, to our like repository, the go-offer repository. So this is a code base um, that's all open source. You can see every single commit there for the underlying technology of, of the Phantom chain. You, you scroll for the commits there and you will see it is not Andre Cronier that is making these commits. It is developers on our team, such as Eagle, such as Alex, um, such as others that um, are the core team of developers, some of whom have been around for years now, that are the right. ones that are continuously making commits to the underlying technology. So I've seen some articles saying Andre Cronier was a core developer at Phantom. It, it, it's, it's simply not true. You know, that Andre Cronier and Anton, um, you know, were, were somehow like controlling 25 projects simultaneously. That's not true mm -hmm. as well. And I kind of also feel a bit sorry for the other projects um, from Anton's tweet that came out um, because, you know, that tweet, like nobody knew that he tweeted that. That was just kind of like something that caught us all off guard. And, right. you know, it, it was something that had to be addressed immediately because Anton kind of gave the impression that, you know, uh, 25 projects you know, were now being shut down and people were messaging me like, oh my gosh, does that mean Phantom is being shut down? Which is yep, quite yep. ridiculous because it's not one pro person that runs the ecosystem. It's thousands of individuals of community developers. And in terms of verifying transactions, it's 60 you know, it's, it, it, it's these 16 validating nodes that are verifying transactions, right? You know, yeah. so it's not like one person has a key and suddenly they can go into a server and just like turn the key the other way and then suddenly like it disappears, right? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. You know, and like with these other projects like with Yearn, they've had a team for like years now that have been developing independently from, from Andre. As the Yearn founder pointed out, Andre's last commit for Yearn project, which is one of his DeFi projects on Ethereum that came to Phantom, you know, yep. was in August, 2020. And the multi-chain team as well, they have their own team of, of developers. I know uh, some of them personally quite well, and they're very, very intelligent. They've been developing the technology by themselves for years now, and Andre has been an advisor to them. But, you know, I think a lot of people in the community think that, you know, Andre built all of the Phantom tech, Andre built all of the any sort multi-chain tech, Andre sure. built all of the Yearn tech, and it's just like simply not true. 
Like, like it's just, it's just not. And so no one from the team has, has left. Um, you know, projects are still developing on, on Phantom, you know, just as they were before. I've seen no people be like, oh, well, I'm not going to develop on Phantom anymore because I guess Andre is turning the key off or something like that. No, no, pe- right. people who are actually developing on Phantom know the truth. I know the chain is still there, processing all of these transactions. And so there's been no slowdown I've seen in terms of projects launching on Phantom. In fact, I have multiple calls every day or the team does with all sorts of different projects I want to deploy on Phantom. Sure. And, you know, want to know about, you know, some technical questions they might have deploying on Phantom, know about, you know, can we, you know, tweak them out, et cetera. You know, you go to our Twitter, you'll see, you know, integrations taking place. Just yesterday, Alpha Finance, a big project yep. on Ethereum, for example, you know, just announced that they're deploying on Phantom. Uh, you know, you, you showed the tweet from Orbs, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. like all these projects are still continuing on Phantom um, because nothing has really changed within Phantom. And that's kind of like the bizarre thing is that, you know, a, a lot of people in the community, you know, think that like, you know, that something fundamentally has changed with Phantom, when in reality it hasn't. It, it, yeah, it simply I was looking hasn't. at your Twitter. And so I do appreciate yeah, this look- opportunity to kind of like talk about it a bit more. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I was looking at your, you know, your Twitter response. This was on March 6th. And it really is to your point is that, you know, is that uh, it, this was not actually the case. Their involvement handling on 25 projects. And you've got many projects such as Yearn Finance has been around for years. You know, you really go into uh, the full run, literally, on this tweet storm, which was an excellent read on uh, kind of supporting just the ecosystem itself and also just the developers that are that it takes to build an ecosystem like Phantom. I think when I heard the news, and it's often the, the case, I think, when you see a layer one, you know, developers are going to move. They're going to see those kind of things. The question is, where are they in the ecosystem in terms of their, what kind of projects they're building and are they active? Like you mentioned there in terms of the, just their last commits and the things that they're going through to kind of help the ecosystem go forward. If they're not committing, uh, then definitely is the case. But I was looking at, uh, you know, your your tweet stream here, and it really goes into quite a bit of detail. It's interesting, you know, the damage control that you guys had to do for the overall Phantom ecosystem, but then also many of the projects that were involved in this also did damage control as well. And we saw a lot of tokens that took a little bit of hit. This is the, one of the things that I have a real problem with in the industry right now is when we see people do things on social media that has real effect on investors. Um, and, and again, this gets back to the whole scenario of why uh, even if you look at how the SEC governs certain publicly traded companies, this would rarely ever happen in a publicly traded company unless it was leaked. So something like this, which gets in the, into these kind of things, there's so much uh, documentation, there's so many agreements that have to go through this. What are your thoughts on how blockchain can grow in the future? Because this is one of the things that we measure constantly, and that is sentiment and amplification. The crypto projects that we, that we monitor on the Crypto Power Index, there is no other investment class like it uh, on everything that we've looked at. You cannot get the kind of data on Apple or Tesla or any other major project in traditional finance and in stocks that you can with social on the blockchain. And one little thing like this that drops into a puddle creates this ripple effect that in many cases damages investors and project leads and people even that are considering moving on unless you go out on a media tour. You know, I know you've done a a bunch of shows 
but it just seems like a, a, just such a waste of time to be doing these things. Yeah. I mean, it is a bit unfortunate. It just shows you the power of social media though, that yes. you know, w one single bad tweet, you know, that that's not accurate, you know, can cause a lot of issues for a lot of projects. Um, right. And, you know, to some extent, you know, it's not just like a crypto thing, right? You know, it's just like social media in general. I guess, you know, people, you know, it's 24 hour cycle, you know, for, 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 for blockchains, you know, they're open 24 <laughs> um, seven. You know, you can interact with protocols anytime you want. There's always yeah. activity happening there. And so, you know, for people, you know, we're like very, very busy lives that don't, you know, don't live and breathe this like you and I do, you know, they see one tweet, you know, and they spend right. like a few seconds on it and they automatically think like, oh, you know, Boom. you know, crap is hitting the fan. Right. And then, you know, yeah. oh my gosh, like, you know, things are being shut down. I need to get my money out, you know, mm -hmm. you know, before it shuts down and you know, like, run on the project. Yeah. 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 Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, how do, how do we kind of like deal with this? Well, you know, that's why we've just tried to put out the truth out there. We've given people the data. So, you know, they don't just have to trust my word. They can go, for example, to the GitHub repository and see the list, the whole history of commits there from basically the beginning of time till, you know, I think like yesterday was like, uh, was like the last commit the developers made and, you know, see for themselves, you know, what's happening. They can obviously like look at the chain data and see what's happening there. And so, you know, in some sense, you know, um, you know, blockchains are actually like more transparent than even public companies, right? Because yeah. public companies, you know, they have to like, you know, like re report on, you know, quarterly filings or half yearly filings about like everything. But, you know, there's not full transparency of like all the transactions that go in and out of like that, that company or that chain, right? Whereas like for well, but you do have, you do you know, have you, the decentralized you, aspect of that though. I mean, you have the decentralized yeah, it, aspect in the sense of developers all around the world working on that project. In many cases, they're working on good faith. You know, if, if Apple were to hire a developer to work on their new OS or any other major tech company, there's going to be some pretty serious ramifications for any kind of social media action that occurs by those developers. That's why you never see those kinds of leaks unless they're on purpose. You know, so this is something that I think is, is a broken problem that we have in the blockchain right now amongst many projects. It's not just Phantom. There are many of them out there that are dealing with these kinds of press issues that, you know, we talked a little bit about on the, uh, you know, pre-interview uh, pre of, of just there's a lot of social media out there. There's a lot of YouTube accounts out there that are basically attacking these kind of projects. And in essence, they're really just hurting investors and hurting people who are not on top of it, you know, of really understanding what's happening in the ecosystem, such as what's, what's happened, happened to Phantom. So this is definitely a problem uh, for sure, Michael. I think it, it definitely needs to be uh, addressed. And the good thing is, is that the more channels that we can get this out there on, to really tell the truth about these kinds of things, the better, I think, for the average person who's getting into blockchain for the first time, because they may look at this into a sense of, and this is what concerns me, is that if we see so much drama in this space, starting to build up and you know just dealings with this, it's gonna basically flush away the retail investors. And the retail investors are very critical right now to the growth of many of these, of these chains and many of these projects. Uh, so that's my concern is making sure that we've got very uh, consistent reporting, factual reporting, and we're going to the source and getting the, the accurate information. So hopefully we've done that today with you guys for sure. 
yeah, I, I do very much like appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, I don't know, you know, quote unquote, like what the solution is in terms of like, you know, when, when, when things go like, like, like wrong on social media, um, the, the only thing we've tried to do is just like basically tell people the truth and just clarify sure. exactly like what is and like what isn't happening because there's just a lot of like information going around that's like not accurate about Phantom and about like other projects as well. And I think, you know, for example, like, uh, you know, th these sorts of interviews, um, you know, like, like with you and also just like uh, getting out there publicly, I think kind of like helps as well, um, you know, to kind of hear, um, you know, exactly what's going on. Yeah. And so that, that's what I've tried to do. Just give people facts, right? You know, the facts yeah. of like, you know, who's actually developing, you know, the core technology, the fact that, you know, this is, a, this is kind of like how the chain works, right? And, you know, they can look for it themselves as well by experimenting with the network, by looking through if, you know, they're more technically inclined to, you know, looking at, you know, more of the documentation that we put out there. And yeah, just trying to spread the message as much as possible. I think, yeah. you know, the, the thing about like news these days, because it's like 24 hour news cycle, right? As they call it. And yeah. it's not just like in crypto, but it's like elsewhere, right? Is that, you know, news comes and goes and, you know, o over time people just like follow Short like new news that comes out. And it's always <laughs> about that, whether like the news is good or bad. And I think yeah. like right now, there's just like a lot of bad news going around. Not just like, you know, the unfortunate tweet that like Anton put out, but just like more generally, like, you know, <laughs> like fears about like what's happening in Ukraine and mm -hmm. insane amounts of inflation that's now... Well, there's always there's always been inflation because money printing is inflation. But now that sort of inflation is now being felt directly by the average person now, more so in like you know the cost yeah, of gas going up, is, you know, cost yeah, of everything going rampant. up, and so people are just in sure. general just very bearish about things. And you know, it's not a you know people are not in a good mood at the moment, uh, especially when there's a major war going on. It's mm -hmm. it's yeah, but like well, eventually, the good thing that is is that. <laughs> Is that the future is bright? That's the the point that I think we can take away from yeah, all these. Yeah, kind yeah, yeah. So, so I'm saying long next. The future is very bright. But like, in, <laughs> yeah, in general, from blockchain technology, I'm super bullish. Like, like I think blockchains are going to be as big as the internet is. I see no reason yeah. why I can't, <laughs> because there are a lot of technical problems that are stopping us from going there. Uh, but these are technical problems that I think, given enough time, because enough people, people work, people, smart people working on these projects, that you know, we will solve these technical issues. And blockchain adoption will keep increasing as it has every single year since since Bitcoin was first released in 2009. And totally like one agree. of the like stats I like to point out, or one of the facts I like to point out that kind of surprises some people, is that in 2018 there was more usage of the Ethereum network than in 2017. But then people say, well, how is that possible? Because the price of Ethereum went down by 80 percent, you know, mm -hmm. from uh, from from 2017. And I said, well. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. It's like, despite price movements, despite these swings, despite these like, you know, um, like Adoption. market cycles, I guess you can call them, the, the trend in terms of usage has been consistently growing and it's growing at a faster rate. And therefore, more and more people are going to be using blockchain technologies. More and more people are going to see the benefits of using blockchain technology, whether it's for DeFi, for NFTs, for other things, and or group-based insurance. And, you know, it, it's just going to keep growing over time. And eventually, it's just going to be as big as the internet. I think that's what's going yeah. to happen. Um, in terms of blockchain as a whole. And I want Phantom, obviously, to be a big, a big part of that future. Yeah, for sure. Michael Kong, great having you on the show today so much. Uh, we'll definitely keep a tune in on what's happening with uh, Phantom because I'm really interested not only in the growth, but I just think in the evolution of how these ecosystems are growing uh, as a whole and what they mean to society in the future for sure. So thanks again for stopping in. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for Excellent. the opportunity.
You bet. All right, so you guys are tuned in over on the podcast right now. Make sure and jump over here to the YouTube channel. Just search Paul Barron Network. You'll find us. Drop a few comments below if you want to get uh, more info on other tokens, other projects, blockchain in general, how this is affecting society, what kind of things are happening in the metaverse. All those kind of things we cover right here on Paul Barron Network. And of course, if you want to reach me, it's just out on Twitter at Paul Barron. We'll catch you next time right here on TechBath.